Welcome to The Corner, La Source's digital show dedicated to the sport and entertainment industry. Every two weeks, we invite a professional to share their experience, background, and challenges. The sport industry moves fast, and having their insights is the best way to keep up to speed. Welcome to The Corner. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Le Corner International. Today, we have the pleasure of welcoming Ivan. Hello, Ivan. Can you introduce yourself to our community? Absolutely. Look, thank you for having me. It's uh, it's great. Um, appreciate the opportunity. Uh, quick introduction. My name is Evan. So I'm French originally. Uh, but I grew up in, in Vietnam uh, with my family. Um, well, probably I lost the French accent quite quickly moving there. Uh, but yeah, I grew up in... Uh, in a working class family, working very hard, but always with my dream to work in, in sports. Um, I remember when I was a kid watching uh, Jerry Maguire, so quickly wanted to become a, a sports agent. <laughs> um, that didn't work out in the end, but I always pursued my, my dream to, to work in sports management. So I grew up in Vietnam, and then when I was 18, uh, moved to Spain uh, to do my bachelor um, in sports management, because that's what I wanted to do. Um, and quickly made my way uh, through uh, sports management. I moved to London um, in 2017 to work in my first ever sports job. It was a cycling company called uh, La Haute Route, um, and they organize uh, amazing amateur events, seven days, three days event. It feels like you're a Tour de France rider, but you are an amateur and you have all the support around you. An amazing experience. I loved it. I learned so much. But then I quickly moved to the media business in London. I work for um, Greenhouse Group M, which was the agency that was leading Lloyd's Banker Group's media business. And that was an amazing experience just because of the joy and, and luck of working in London with great people. But learning what media business is, learning what pay social, pay search uh, is, uh, digital marketing in general. And I quickly became, um, I don't know, uh, I got this expertise in digital marketing and I had that, that baggage. My dream was always to come back to sports, right? So but I understood that if I didn't have the opportunity uh, from the very start of my career, then I need to go in a different direction and find that baggage. And that baggage allowed me to return to sports later on. So in 2019, I, I moved back to, to Barcelona um mostly for the weather and for for being close to closer to family let's be honest yeah. uh, i worked in uh, digital marketing and a hospitality company a big one called amadeus um and we worked on portfolios of uh hotels uh marketing portfolios of of, of big hotel brands and, and chains all over the world uh but unfortunately and and i think i i, I need to explain this a little bit because it, it kind of explains why i'm where i am today uh, I had, unfortunately, a, a personal tragedy, uh, losing my dad in an Ironman triathlon race. Uh, we, we took part in an in Ironman triathlon race in, in Barcelona in 2019. Um, and unfortunately, losing my dad in the, basically in the, the swimming part uh, with a, a cardiac arrest. I didn't know by the time I was already on the cycling uh, side of the triathlon. And then by the time I, I finished the cycling three hours later, I unfortunately realized with a, a, a presentiment that things were not looking too good. I had a bad feeling all over the race. And it was confirmed that then, you know, losing my dad in the triathlon race, uh, a shock. It, it basically broke me down. It, it, 
it, I know it's a difficult topic to talk about, but I think it's important that I shared it because it basically shook my entire world in a single day and it forced me to do a reset button. Um, and I think it's important because I basically grew up very quickly from this experience and it also explains where I am today. So that forced me to one, uh, quit my previous job uh, in digital marketing. Mm-hmm. It forced me to take care of my family, uh, my mother and my sister, um, and and become in many ways the person that need to lead, lead the family forward and take care of some uncomfortable conversation and uncomfortable topics within, of course, uh, uh, a tragic death uh, in the family. Uh, but what it allowed me to do is really to step up um, and, and realize, okay, you need to take two steps back in order to take three steps forward mentality. And it really, really, really allowed me to make a decision about my future uh, as a person and as a professional uh, worker, right? So then I was able to realize that if I want to go back to the sports world, it needs to be now. Um, and luckily, uh, I found the opportunity at the EuroLeague six months later uh, of that, that tragic event. And I, I found uh, my new family, <laughs> as I call it, at the EuroLeague, right? So I started at the EuroLeague in 2020, early 2020, right before COVID happened. I remember I started in social media. But because I had that baggage uh, of digital marketing skills, I was then able to to move forward into the digital marketing team at the EuroLeague. We were a team of one. Now we're a team of five. And every year, be able to grow the ecosystem, uh, hire more team members in the team, and, and now uh, very happy to be the head of digital at the EuroLeague. So it's been a long way coming. Uh, I'm only 26. And when I say this, I say to people, hi, I'm Evan. I'm 26 years old, and I'm the head of digital at the EuroLeague basketball. Something doesn't add up somewhere. But something doesn't add up is because I I had to grow up very quickly. I had to make some very difficult sacrifices and decisions in my life to be where I am today. Um, but I really gained that maturity and that leadership very early on. And I think you you learn as a human and as a professional, you learn from difficult situations in your life. Um, unfortunately, these situations appear quite early in my age, at the age of 21. Um, and I had to step up, right? And it's a natural cycle of life. And I was then able to use those skills to to push my way forward, um, to know where I want to go in life and be able to to work very hard. And the yearly has become my family. It's become a lot more than just a job. Uh, and we can touch more about that later on in, in more questions. Yeah. Uh, but I'm very happy to be the head of digital at the yearly and be able to grow the ecosystem and lead uh, the future of this league, which for me, is the the most competitive basketball league uh, in the world by by far? It's crazy because the first thing that I um, thought when I saw you and when I started chatting with you in preparation here was just like you sound much older than you are. Yeah, uh, and I didn't know how old you were uh, starting this conversation, but uh, but d- definitely could feel that. But I guess and leaving that 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 that, that tragedy, but I guess th- part of what has made you what you are today as well uh, t- to the side. Mm-hmm. It's super interesting to understand what your journey has been like in terms of learning different skill set from different industries to potentially to actually be in a position to add them up and to put yourself in a position where you go in through a door in a sports organization which is which it sounds like you always wanted to get back to which is social media which is kind of the easy kind of entry path for younger people but because of those digital learnings that you have have the competency of looking not only at what a social media strategy might look like but also understand the you know like the perks and the the important uh, important elements of a full digital 360 degree strategy for an organization like your league. 
absolutely yeah completely right and it's interesting also because just and, and we'll touch back on uh, touch base on that does your role in your organization stop at your social media strategy and your digital platforms or does it also take into account the digital strategy of your international right holders It's a great question. Uh, I think for now, it really covers what we do within the league on a league level. But we need to understand something very quickly here. Like the league, your league, is also owned by several of the clubs that play in the league. So we don't see them as competition. We see each other as a big family. And I think some people always had a stereotypical approach to this. They always thought that, okay, uh, if one of your club leaves, then you're going to be in trouble, etc. and vice versa. But We don't see it that way. We really see it as a big ecosystem. We're trying to build the clubs. The more they grow, the more we grow as a league. So it's really a joint venture in many ways. And we really appreciate, we, we love the clubs that are participating in our league. And we're working with them to grow the digital capabilities, to grow their channels and grow their also their revenue model around digital. Revenue is key. Um, I think it's, it's, it's fair to approach this topic. We need to build a stable financial approach for all the clubs that we have uh, at the EuroLeague. And we need to reassure ourselves that these clubs will be able to make a positive revenue and a positive profit at the end of the cycle of the season, right? Losing money from the club perspective in the long term is not sustainable for this business model that we have. How do we help the club? We help them on the digital basis. We help them promote their players because we also know that fans today follow more the players than the clubs. Yeah. It's a typical approach. We need to be aware of this. From a personal basis, I know this myself. I follow F1 drivers, Premier League, NBA players as a brand themselves over the franchise or the club or the team. And wherever they go, I tend to go as well, right? So we need to understand yeah. that and we need to help the club take full ownership and be able to promote their protagonists in their club and on earth they'd be able to be able to leverage that conversation as well so we're really helping them on a daily basis we work with them very closely the more they grow the, the more we grow so we look after the ecosystem of our league but in many ways everything is a synergic approach with the club as well and that's a good question actually that i didn't think about in, in preparation but how much do the clubs own of the league is it 100 owned by the clubs so or we ha we currently today have uh 18 teams playing the euro league 13 of them have what we call a license uh ownership yeah uh, now the a license can be a, a multi-year approach of ownership or more it's it's diverse across the portfolio but these clubs these 13 clubs take part in the biggest decision making of the present and the future of the league where we are expanding from a financial perspective to a regional perspective to a global approach to the final four events that we launch and, and, and prepare uh, every single year. Um, these clubs have a, a big say in this and we work with them uh, to deliver a better product, right? We are a yeah. product, we are a business and we need to grow that across the board. And maybe before we deep dive on the, uh, on the digital side of things to keep setting it up for our audience that's maybe not as familiar as we might be on the EuroLeague structure. So beyond those 13 clubs, there are five clubs that are guests ultimately that can change exactly every period of time can you explain that a little bit to the audience yeah so these five clubs uh some of them have what we call a, a walk wild card access so they're 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 invited to play in the league some of them are also regional uh champions within their domestic league so they have the right to then play in the euro league uh but we we need to to look at the different markets and this is also based on market expansion about what the future of the league will look like and which clubs will be welcome uh within the league now Now, from a commercial and business model, it's important to understand that stability is key and be able to have 
the same or similar clubs to be playing in the league. We have always, of course, uh, opened the doors to new clubs and, and uh, returning clubs to come back in the league. That's completely fair. Uh, but we need to offer the best product possible uh, across the board. And we need to be able that clubs can maintain that stability moving forward. We, we unfortunately saw across different occasions across the last years that some clubs uh, want to play the EuroLeague but cannot on a financial budget. Why? Because, of course, playing EuroLeague, you need to have the best roster possible. And there's a lot of hidden costs and fixed costs behind to achieve that. So we need to be able to have that conversation and be able to say, okay, this is where we need to go in terms of expansion. This is what the next five years needs to look like for the league. All with the mindset that we need to offer a better product. We need to be an entertainment product. We need to show the best possible basketball on court in Europe. We know yearly basketball is completely different than American basketball. We have different values. We play a lot of defense. Uh, but what we have is that every single game in our league matters because most games finish with a couple points difference. So whether you go to a Panathinaikos game in Athens, or you go to FC Barcelona game in Spain, you're in for a treat because every single game cannot be predicted. And that's the that true, true, unique selling point of the EuroLeague, right? It's the fact that you will be entertained no matter what. And this is only the beginning for us. We're really showing that we are an intense league with some amazing players. And I think it's just the beginning. Yeah. And it's interesting, the whole rights movement in France, specifically around the, uh, around the EuroLeague and just the structure. It, it feels like there's a lot of untapped potential. Get Like the work is starting to be well done, um, but there's still so much untapped potential. And I guess there's an element that we can get back to a little bit further down the line of how do you starify the players that actually don't go to the NBA in a certain Absolutely. way and make those, you know, make those the influences and the and the the faces of the league is probably one of the challenges that you guys meet because you, there are some great brands, there are some great fans, mm-hmm. um, but I guess the one thing that moves too much for your elite to get to the to the level it can be at, and tying back to what you were saying that your fan of athletes just as much as clubs and the new generation is the figure athlete. Yeah, completely right. Yeah. Um, Great. So deep diving into the whole the, the digital topic, right? Like as head of digital, it, it, it's super interesting for us and our audience to understand a little bit what your role is and where do you see the business going. So what what are the major trends that you're seeing influence the digital space right now, right? But it, it's a it's a digital the digital space is one that's c- constantly shifting, right? Digital five years ago is so much different than what it is today. Where do yeah. you see digital going, and how do you see digital turn it into the revenue generating uh, asset that it must be for leagues and clubs? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Look, I think digital for the EuroLeague has grown tremendously over the last four or five years. Um, to give you a bit of context, we went through a very complex and challenging digital transformation process, which pushed us to not only create a new web and app, which is a lot of work already, but also create a brand new gamification strategy. Um, and that's that's been really, really key for us as well uh, to build also an entire new data structure and data infrastructure, right? Understanding who our fans are and behind that build a CRM strategy. And yep. also on top of that, be able to bridge the gap between digital and partnership and sponsorship, right? How can we use digital to drive revenue for the business? And I think that's a major part of my day-to-day. A lot of people that I speak to, they they often forget that part as well. They see digital as social media, as fantasy, as some cool things that we do. 
but they they tend to forget that behind this there has to be a commercial objective because the more we invest in our resources and our efforts um, and and the products that we offer, um, the more expectation we have in terms of driving business and driving revenue for the Euro League. I think that's that's key for the growth of the of the league. Now we've done a lot, and I think COVID. 19, the pandemic really pushed us to accelerate that movement, right? Because we realized quickly that we had no fans in the stands, no fans in the arena. And a lot of the sponsors, because we have the the joy of working with over 30 sponsors, a mix of global and regional sponsors, uh, a lot of them were asking and knocking at the door, hey, guys, like we're not getting any activations in the arenas. We need something else. We need something else and we need it quick because for us, it's very important. And of course, our, our sponsorship relationships are extremely important to us. We value them greatly. Uh, and digital was the answer to a lot of these challenges, right? How much branded content on social media can we offer? How much placements within the web and app through banners and different, uh, different uh, PCBs, as we call it, can we offer within those this um, inventory uh, on digital? How much can we offer on the fantasy game, right? The fantasy game, I, I had the pleasure of, of leading that project from scratch three years ago. And today, our fantasy is one of the fastest growing in the world. I believe we have over 250,000 teams uh, that's over 170,000 active users that come back every single week and spend four or five minutes on the game every week to make the right picks. And that's been an amazing success for us. Gamification has really, really helped us take us our digital ecosystem to the next level. And I'm extremely proud of the team uh, here at the EuroLeague uh, and the partners to be able to grow that. But how much can we offer on a commercial level, right? We can, of course, offer down on a naming rights. We can offer uh, partnership and sponsors placements within the game itself. Um, so there's so many new inventory that we didn't have in the past that we can now offer and commercialize. And that's been key for us, right? To touch more on gamification, we now have across different uh, fantasies and games that we offer. You know, we offer a yearly fantasy. We offer a yearly bracket game for the playoffs and the Final Four. We offer through our partners at Meta uh, fantasy games on Facebook Mobile. And these games, all these games combined, uh, accumulate to over 2.6 million people playing um, all over the world. That's been amazing, right? But what it, it, sh- it showed me a little bit as well is the fact that many of these fans I play come from different countries all over the world. They're not only from Europe, where we are located and, and play, but they're also from America, they're from Asia, they're from Africa, Oceania, so many different continents and countries in the world. They're not particular yearly fans yet, but they are gaming fans. So gamification has allowed us to target regular gamers in general and then start to convert them into sports fans, basketball fans, and then EuroLeague fans as part of the conversion funnel that we that we follow, of course. You know, so that's that's a great way for us to reach new audiences uh, moving forward and uh, and, and a big uh, uh, added value to us. Yeah, super interesting. And so just to help structure it a little bit. So in terms of the way you approached it, you obviously have a digital platform and you have an OTT platform and you have your activity on social media. So that's how it's globally structured. In terms of layering in the different layers of value, so you started by getting a CRM, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a CRM to be able to capture all the data under your different users that's tied probably to your SSO. And then if I understand well in terms of the infrastructure, you have all those mini games that sit on the side of it or that are tied to the SSO so that your Correct. fantasy league and those data points actually feed into a user profile. 
Absolutely. That's a great question. And in fact, the SSO, the key term you just mentioned, is key for us. We believe in a, in a single sign-on, an SSO that will adapt to all the different products that we offer. So what does it mean having an SSO that is the same for every product that we offer, whether that's yearly TV, which is our OTT, whether that's the web, app, fantasy, et cetera, et cetera, all of them are achievable and uh, can be enjoyed by fans all over the world through the same SSO. The SSO has allowed us to build a membership program called EuroLeague ID. That membership program is very simple. You give us your data, you give us your involvement and your fan loyalty and your fandom. In exchange, we will give you a lot of cool products for you to enjoy. With a free SSO through EuroLeague ID, you're able to go on EuroLeague TV today and enjoy the free tier of EuroLeague TV, which includes extended highlights, exclusive documentaries, exclusive content that nobody has access besides our rights holders, including EuroLeague TV as part of the OTT offering. This is an amazing product that we can offer. Um, of course, be, being able to drive EuroLeague ID fan base, most of them come from fantasy, but being able to, to get them to EuroLeague TV and other touch points allows us to cross-promote and be able to really show them the value of yearly TV, right? Let's be honest, yearly TV is our digital product that brings revenue for the business. That's key to understand and key to remember because all the strategy that we have behind is to drive as much traffic as possible to yearly TV through our membership program and then look at the cross promotion and the cross upsell. Uh, once the users are in that yearly TV platform, they're able to see that, wow, this is a cool platform. I have access to some really cool exclusive content. But if I want to watch the live games, I'm going to have to upgrade my account and, of course, pay a subscription model uh, to enjoy yearly TV games. All the EuroLeague, all the EuroCup games on demand, live on demand. Um, and a lot of people are seeing that value because we're showing them the actual platform and they're seeing the platform themselves. All they need to do is upgrade the access. And I think it's working really well. Our goal is to increase that membership program to offer a lot more, whether it's game tickets, Final Four tickets, the biggest event for us of the year, okay? For me, it's by far one of the biggest basketball events of the year because it's a mega event, loud, yeah. exciting, intense. Uh, but being able to offer so many different rewards and, and, and loyalty to our fans who are giving them, uh, who are giving us their loyalty and fandom is key. We have six main pillars today, including Yearly TV, Fantasy, um, access to jerseys and game tickets. There's a lot more that we'll be offering, but that goal is very important to increase the membership of EuroLeague ID and to increase the traffic to EuroLeague TV to be able to increase, of course, the upgrades that will happen from fans who are discovering the true value of our OTT. So in your digital journey, you have a membership program. It's interesting for me to understand, like, are you already capturing all those data points from all different sources throughout your platforms? Or is it something where it's mostly tied for the moment to your mini games or certain sections of your platform. So that would be my number one. And number two, that goes alongside it because it feels like the natural journey would be to drive you to the CDP option. Is yeah. the customer data platform something that you already have? Is that something that yeah. you're looking into? And are you at the point where you feel like you have sufficient data and sufficient sponsors interested in that segmented data to yeah. actually go down the route of CDPs? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I saw the last question. We do have a CDP in place. We do have a building infrastructure in place. Are we happy with the amount of data that we currently have? I don't think the, the answer is yes. I think we definitely have a lot more work to do. Um, I think there's a lot more we have to do in terms of the overall data that comes in and data capture that we have across the different touch points. 
your first question is clear. I mean, we we do most of our data comes from gamification. Now there's a lot more we need to have. There's a lot of different products that we are launching and have in the past that do not have that same data infrastructure. So the last few years have been a bit intense because we've been really cleaning the data that we have, being able to assign a user ID to the right user ID for different touch points and yep. to avoid any overlaps because we don't have we don't want to have inaccurate numbers. Um, and then be able to use our CRM capabilities and our tech infrastructure right now uh, to show one, how strong are we in terms of data capture? B, um, how much do we know about you, right, as a fan? And this is what we're doing a lot of work on. We need to ask you who is your favorite team, who is your favorite players. That's going to come soon as well. That's all part of the Euroleague ID registration process. The more information I have about you, the better I can retarget you with CRM campaigns, whether it's, you know, uh, offering you free tickets to your favorite team, uh, offering you a discount on the merchandise of your favorite players, for example. Right? This is really the next step for us. Um, and C, uh, the last point is the commercial level. Our sponsors are continuing to ask, and a lot of them are asking a lot more about, one, can we have a segmentation breakdown of your data capture today? And B, how can we target them through email marketing, uh, push notifications on our mobile app and more and more. Everything needs to have a commercial level behind without, of course, breaking the, the magic world that we have around UX, right? We need to offer a fun fan engagement product without bombarding them with too much commercial messages. But there's a middle ground. And I don't think we've reached that middle ground yet. It's a work in progress. And I think we'll get there very soon. We just need to keep pushing our current products, be able to market a lot more. The truth is, over the last three years, we launched so many new products and we haven't really marketed those products yet, right? It's great that we are able to launch new products and our current fans are really enjoying it, but we need to be able to market those those products to fans outside of our uh, ecosystem. And that's what we're planning to do now. And I think in a year time, we'll be able to really show the results of very good campaigns and be able to show the data capture uh, results that will come through that. Yeah, it looks like the structure is nice, n- nice and well in place. Um, and also, it's 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 interesting to hear that the that the sponsors are interested in those segmentation capabilities already because it's always a, there's always that question on the digital side of things is are sponsors ready for that segmentation and benefit and appreciate the the the, the segmentation that is being done by the different organizations? But it also brings me to the point I, I was going to ask you where do you feel EuroLeague sits uh, compared to other European sports, I would say, in terms of digital infrastructure capture, right? If you would, com- if we would compare it to the football, tennis, cricket, whatever industry, right. sounds like you guys are pretty advanced at this stage. It's a great question. I feel like we're ninety percent through our, our current digital transformation process, which which is good. Uh, but there's a lot more we can do. And to answer your question about other sports properties out there, I feel like the journey ahead for us is a lot longer. Like we have a lot of runway left to to cover. Um, but I feel like we are working on a blank sheet of paper sometimes. Yep. And we're really able to do whatever we want and whatever we feel we're doing. And I think that's not only on digital, it's also, it's also for marketing, through innovation programs, through, for example, putting uh, cameras on referees and players during live games, right? Not No other basketball league in the world is doing that. We're doing it. We're, we've yeah. done mic'd up in the past. Now we're doing actual cameras to see a brand new first-person view of what it is to be a referee, what it is to be a player. 
that can be integrated to broadcast. It can be integrated to OTT. It can be integrated to our social media channels. It's an amazing piece of content to elevate the positioning of the league. But to answer your question, there's there's a lot more we can do. One one thing that is really focusing uh, my attention over the next three years, at least for the roadmap, is one, personalization. Be able to offer a personalized experience on our digital products or fans. For that, we need to know your information. For example, like I said, favorite club and favorite players and be able to really, really personalize your home homepage experience and uh, your communication with us. And that's key. And the second thing is gamification. We know the power of gamification. We saw it ourselves by building a brand new strategy. Now we need to expand on that. We need to build a gaming hub. We need to build more gaming products that can be offering more incentives to you as a fan to be part of this fandom, right? And we need to build the capabilities on a commercial level. We know, and I, I speak from experience, especially with Gen Z, that the, um, the attention span of our next fans are extremely low. And we need to be in a position to protect this league and this product where we need people to continue watching all the games of the EuroLeague. They will do so naturally because our games are so competitive that you don't know who's going to end up winning the game, right? So that's, that's an amazing piece for us, and that's super important. But we need to ensure that that next generation of fans are coming up and growing very rapidly. We need to be aware of that every day they get older. Uh, we need to be able to convince them and to be attracted to the EuroLeague. We need to offer innovative tools, whether it's a brand new way of consuming the product through referee camps, player camps, that's one way, but be able to keep them engaged. And that's gamification for me. Gamification is the way for me to maintain a valid, growing Gen Z generation of fans and be able then to convert them into loyal EuroLeague fans who will go to the games, who will support players, who will support clubs, and who will also experience the biggest event of the EuroLeague, which is a Final Four event as well. Well, it's definitely great to hear somebody talk about the importance of gamification from our position as an agency, really focused on that fan engagement layer element. And we're going to get back to it, but on that centralized approach uh, of a league with the clubs. Um, that, but, but we'll touch base on that a little bit later. But it is one thing where those gamification element, and you were talking about meta. And I remember in a podcast hearing Peter Hutton say how extensively more engaged and how extensively longer the session lengths were when there were gamification and social elements alongside a piece of content. Like uh, most organizations have no clue about it, but would have their jaws dropped if they actually saw the numbers behind it. So it's great to hear that you have gone through that process and beyond the Fantasy League because Fantasy League feels like a quick win that is built as a standalone that people can get to, but it's actually for relatively niche audience compared to the global engagement you want to get for your global fans. So it's super interesting to hear you uh, talk about all those elements, but just one last final question on the building blocks, right? That we have been going through so far. What what are maybe the challenges that you didn't know you were going to face a few years back when you took took upon this role and started uh, building or adapting the different platforms? Um, yeah, tell tell us about some of the things that uh, some of the complexities that have come come up along the way before we get back to monetization and 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 the centralized approach. That's an amazing question uh, and a question that I, I feel we sometimes overlook uh, a little bit. Uh, but the truth is working on a, on a digital transformation process with over six different vendors across the board can be very complicated, right? Because 
you're working with external vendors who some of them know basketball and some of them do not know basketball, but some of them and few of them don't know what the Euro League is in many ways, right? So yep. it's for me, the number one challenge is understanding of a product, understanding of the game. If you don't understand that, it's very hard to build a, a digital strategy and infrastructure that will fit our needs in the long term. So that's number one, right? So it's really the education and showing to our vendors our vision and be able to have a commitment from them and their team knowledge to be able to build that with us. That's really important. The second point, the second challenge, I think it's a challenge that we all face uh, in today's um, sports world. It's, uh, of course, the, the financial commitments uh, to build a digital strategy and yep. commitment. Uh, that's key. Um, and there's a lot more that I want to do. It's just at the end of the day, I need to justify to our top management that whatever we invest needs to have a commercial and sponsorship and return of investment capability behind. And I think that's key. That's a huge part of my day to day. I think that way as well. And I think that's really important, right? The third one I would say is timing. We often want things to be done ASAP. I feel yeah. like digital is especially, I don't know, um, digital is really like impacted by this mentality that, okay, we need it for tomorrow when it, it can take six to 12 months to develop in the back end. Yeah. And I feel that's a key part, right? Managing expectations, both internally and externally, and be able to have an honest conversation with our management team, honest conversation with our stakeholders, our clubs, our fans themselves and say, hey, we know you want this. But I also believe in my philosophy of when doing things here, we need to do things right. If it takes longer than we have to, we'll take the time to do it. But we can't release things because we have to. We need to do it right. And there has to be objectives behind. And timing it's is... Interesting. It's, it's interesting to hear you say that, though, because it feels like probably from your standpoint, it feels like it takes time. But when we see the volume of things you seem to have been doing over the last few years, there's still a lot that has been covered, right? So there's yeah. that element, that nuance, because being on the startup side of things... Um, there's always that element of organizations not going fast enough or just people feeling like they can just push back things. You have done a lot within those years. So it's taking time, but you're, it still feels like you're operating pretty fast on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that really. I really do. I feel like once you work in this ecosystem, I think your mind is a bit uh, cloudy because you, it's hard to take a step back from a fan perspective and really see what we've done. I know we've achieved a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm extremely grateful for our, our, our management team support, our stakeholders, our joint venture, our partners, our clubs, um, and the, the people in my team uh, who have done a tremendous work. There's a lot more we want to do. I think we're extremely proactive. And the thing is, like I said, right, we are working with a blank piece of paper in many ways, and we have the support uh, and the trust to build new products as we wish, but always listening to our fans. And this is why we really send out a lot of surveys every single uh, trimester to understand where our fans want, what they feel about where we are with the current products and be able to take their feedback really importantly and significantly yep. to be able to make changes. That's the main takeaway that I have. The fourth challenge I would say is also the trends, right? The trends of the sports world are continually evolving. Sports is not only sports. Sports is also content, digital tr distribution, and how we experience uh, our product. And those trends are evolving every single day, right? So be able to adapt to those trends and capture those trends, sometimes taking risks as well to be on top of the game and be one of the very first is also a big risk. Um, but we, we need to take those, right? And we need to be able to adapt to those trends. How do we know what the trends are? We need to speak to our fans. Speak to yeah. them, listen to them, really listen to them. Don't say anything, just listen to their feedback 
take their feedback from different fans and different demographics, Gen Z to our average fan, which is around 40 years old, uh, male and female, to really understand what they want and be able to offer a digital ecosystem that will fit the different fan bases that we have. And that's really the key. But listening is the key here. Yeah, super interesting. Um, One other very interesting element of what you are able to build uh, as an organization and because you are a closed league, which is different than most uh, um, uh, sports competitions in Europe uh, is that you have a chance to have a centralized approach, right? Yeah. We like to talk on the uh, on La Source globally as an agency. We, we often take the team business operations model from the NBA as yeah. one that should be a must for the future for, for any organization. We do have a sentiment that most leagues are starting to understand that they have to bring strengths together, right? So the teams and the clubs and the broadcaster, sorry, teams, leagues and broadcasters actually have to work together to, to grow uh, the overall business and the attention of the younger generations to their sport and to their brands. Tell us a little bit more about what you guys are doing and how you guys are enjoying that position of working as a closed league with the teams being the the shareholders of the organization to actually put in place some digital activations or processes that are valuable for the global group of stakeholders versus working against each other or multiplying the touch points on certain topics that uh, uh, that yeah. would make you have inefficiencies. Yeah, it's, a, it's another great question, really. Um, like I said, we work with the clubs. We work as a big yearly family, as I call it. Um, we don't consider ourselves a closed league, just just to put that out there. I mean, of course, there's okay. still some clubs that can come and go. That's that's so we, we're not a closed league. Maybe the best term could be semi-closed in many ways, but we're not a closed league uh, at least for the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's important to remember, just to to allow a, a fair competition and be able to welcome new clubs. That's always very important for us. Um, but also. Uh, like I said, the clubs are really like part of this league. Most of them are part of this league, and that's really important. So when it comes to centralization, that's key. That's key because, like I said, the more they grow, the clubs, I mean, the more we grow as a league. And centralization will come along quite quickly when it comes to our digital ecosystem and the future of this digital strategy. It's about looking at data capture. The more information we have about their fans, the more we can share with the clubs. If I know that, let's say, 10,000 fans have told me that they are Real Madrid basketball fans. And they've of those 10,000, 5,000 have chosen their favorite players. That information is also very important to the club themselves because they can really retarget those fans, be able to push their own uh, messaging and CRM capabilities. Um, and it's really an added value for the clubs. So one, centralization of data capture is key. There's also on the second part and the second layer, Uh, Just one question on that, Evan, Yeah, uh, if I can ask, what do you have to be able to centralize, right? Because I I can see the workflow where as a fantasy league, you ask a a fan or just on your platforms, you ask a fan, who's your favorite team? Who's your favorite athlete? But there's no SSO level connection between the league and the clubs, right? Not yet, exactly. Exactly. And uh, you basically offer the best solution that we can. Uh, look into the clubs right this yeah. will be part of a longer conversation with the clubs where we have we need to centralize most of the league digital strengths and assets uh the sso for me is an amazing piece of tool that we can do that across the club level because we have to be aware of something very important here some of our clubs are extremely strong with, within the digital transformation process some of the clubs are not very strong 
And that's yeah. also because, let's be honest, some clubs only care about winning. Winning is very important when it comes to basketball and when it comes to the EuroLeague. Every game matters, right? Every victory can take you to the playoffs run. Every defeat can really push you down and ruin your season. So they're focusing on winning. We need to build to be able to build an ecosystem where the clubs can work with us. And it, it often means us traveling to the clubs and be able to offer club services, right? Be able to, to show them what is a good data capture approach. What is a good CRM approach? What is a good gamification approach? And be able to work on a centralized data capture approach as well. This will come in the next few years. I think it's just a matter of time. But it's also okay, a matter so right now, more than choosing a digital infrastructure, you're more doing workshops, doing the educational right. bit to those clubs rather than, okay. That's right. And it literally, literally leads to the conclusion that we have, right? The education part, the, the showing to the clubs the value of having a good digital infrastructure is key, not only from a fan perspective of their, of their club, right? But from a revenue perspective as well. The clubs need to be able to grow revenues outside of ticketing, merch, and sponsorship. They need to be able to use digital as a new lever to be able to grow revenues and be able to achieve financial stability in the long term as well. And this is where we come in. This is where working with them hand in hand is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Would you say the level of digital advancement overall throughout the league, is is it pretty advanced or is it still pretty early stage in digital? I I think it's, it's, uh, it's hard to answer. I think some of the clubs... And it doesn't, it doesn't matter the size, to be honest with you, right? But uh, yep. some, of, some of the clubs uh, are really advanced, but some of the clubs are still not there yet. Uh, I would say we'll stay on the early stages, to answer your question. But it offers us a brand new opportunity, right? Especially because we're on the early stages, we can really show from the very beginning what is a good model to approach and be able to show the value of centralizing data with the EuroLeague, for example, uh, centralizing the membership program and, and more, right? So if we come in early enough and, and work with the clubs early enough, we can build an infrastructure that will be for the long term of the league and really benefit the league uh, for the many years to come. Yeah, interesting. Maybe one last one to ask you, um, and, and could have stayed a long time on that centralizing centralization strategy, uh, but just in, in the interest of time, on, on the commercial side of things, because it's also something that we started touching base on. One of your very important partners is Turkish Airlines. Yes, um, and we can see that they're not only engaging with Euroleague, but also with the uh, secondary state uh, stakeholders, like a Squeak, for example, where mm-hmm. they just launched a collaboration uh, this very week. Um, Tell us how those collaborations help in terms of, you know, launching new digital initiatives and how you can align your interests to theirs in many ways uh, and what they're looking yeah. for in collaborating with you. Yeah, that's a great question. Look, Turkish Alliance is our naming partner uh, of the EuroLeague. They're being, uh, they're being amazing partners for many years and many seasons. We're extremely grateful and proud to be working with such a, such a, a, a brand of that, uh, that amplitude in many ways. So that's great. Uh, what Turkish Alliance is doing, beyond, besides just being a, a naming partner and a huge uh, stakeholder of this league, is also pushing us to offer better 
better experiences, better activations, and really pushing a digital transformation to the next level through the need of AR and VR. We know Turkish Airlines are really focused on that. They want to show experiences within the EuroLeague and beyond and be able to present the product in a much different way, especially focusing on Gen Z, right? Focusing on becoming viral content itself. And they've done that with different uh, sports properties, uh, the Champions League being one as well. But with us, it's really pushing AR and VR and that gives us an opportunity to, one, explore that space and be able to have innovation moving forward as the centerpiece of our strategic uh, model. But on the second hand, be able to work with them hand in hand since the very start and be able to go to them and say, hey, this is what we want to do, but we want to tailor this new product offering to your needs and your wants. And doing that with a partner is amazing because you don't go to them when the product is finished and say, hey, do you want to be the sponsor of this? Yes or no? No. You go to them from the very beginning and work with them and be able to get their commitment, their strategic input, their feedback on the branding, on the positioning, on the features, and be able to build a product that is a joint product between the sponsor and you. And I think that's key for the long-term success of this league. Be able to work with the sponsors, listen to them, listen to their needs, and get the long-term commitment. We do not usually work with sponsors who are there for the short term. We need to build the financial stability of this league, but we need to approach sponsorship on a win-win model. And that's really important. And this is what my team in digital have in the in mind, is to be able to offer the best product possible. But we know that if a sponsor doesn't see, let's say, the ROI on their side or the, the, the benefits of being our sponsor, they might leave after a year or two seasons, right? And that's not good for us. So we need to be able to offer a win-win. How do we offer a win-win on, on the digital side? Well, we offer products that can be tailored made and be able to have their input and their collaboration. So it's a joint collaboration with our sponsors and our digital capabilities with the coordination and the lead of the sponsorship team. And that's been something that we're doing, something that we need to do a lot more. And it will become, uh, for me, the, the future of this league as well. Super interesting, Evan. There's so many things that we touched base on today, but m- my biggest takeaway is the is the be able to align their long-term vision and strategy, but with fast operational work on a day-to-day basis to make sure that you keep uh, putting together those building blocks. It feels like there's a lot that it's being well done uh, on a digital side. So it's a, uh, it was it was really really interesting to be able to exchange with you. Uh, we, we usually like to close up our our podcast with with very simple questions yet uh, inspiring ones. Um, if you had to recommend a book, a series, a movie that you recently looked at that inspired you in the sports or outside of the sports industry, uh, what would it be? Uh, it's a great question. I love that question. I think from a book perspective, um, outside of sports, a, a very old book, but very important, I recommend is uh, The Art of War uh, by General Sun Tzu. Um, teaches the strategies in life. And I think it really helped me um, after my personal strategy of, of losing my dad and be able to, let's say, uh, reset uh, the motions and be able to see where I want to go uh, in my life as a, as, a, as a human and as a leader as well in, in my work. And I think that's key. Uh, yep. From a movie perspective, I, I mentioned it with Jerry Maguire. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because I, I was going to mention it again. If you didn't bring oh. it up, I was going to say that that is a classic amongst classic. Jerry Maguire is an amazing movie, but I think also Moneyball because it shows you yep. that it's, um, I mean, these two movies for me, it's, um, you know, it's also the underdog uh, mentality and it shows you one thing, right? And I think that's something that I want to finish off today is the power of having a great team behind you, the power of communication. 
and the power of working with different people. And I have the absolute pleasure of working with an amazing team members in my team. Uh, I'm going to share their names because they're really important to me. Agnes, Bryce, Clem, Sean, uh, Alex, and, and beyond. These people have made my job a lot easier. They've made the EuroLeague greater. Um, and without them, nothing is possible. Uh, I wouldn't be sitting here without their support. And I think I really want to make sure that they know and make sure that people know that without the collaborative approach, without the expertise of these people who don't come from sports, many of them come from different sectors and they transfer their skills to the sports world, they've made the EuroLeague a much better product. We're still very young, I would say, even though we have 22 years of history, we have so much more we can do, so much more we want to do. And I think it's just the very beginning. My end goal is to leave a, a legacy at the EuroLeague, is to help improve the ecosystem of the of the, of the digital at the EuroLeague um, and really think of the fans, right? We need to offer you guys a better product and we are committed. We work extremely hard. And this job, like I said in the beginning, this job is not only a job for me, it's become a lot more than a job. It's become a family, it's become a, a purpose. Uh, and I, I really give a lot of efforts. The entire staff here in Barcelona and our partners IMG are also working very hard. It's just the beginning, so I can't wait to to show the world, uh, not only Europe, but all over the world, what we can do and what we can bring to the table. It feels like a mic drop moment, so it would be a shame to try to add anything to that. Uh, Evan, it was a true pleasure exchanging with you today. Really appreciate your time and Thank giving you. all these insights on what you are putting in place in such detail. It was, it, it was very rich, I think. Thank you very much. Thank you to the listeners as well, and, and thank you for your time and the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to us for one more episode of uh, Le Corner International. Hope you like it as much as we liked recording it. Um, and don't hesitate to like, share, and talk about the, the episode around you. You are our biggest supporters. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoy it as much as we love creating them. If you like the episode, feel free to comment, rate, and share with people around you. You can visit our website, www.lastsource.io, to learn more about our activities. You will discover a wide range of articles and can subscribe to our newsletter to receive the latest tech and sports news in your mailbox every month. Stay tuned for new episodes. Le Corner.